Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Legends cast. I am Rob Pearsall, starring as Robin Ventura, joined by my lovely co-host, Michael Jennings, starring as fucking Paul Seawald today. No. (laughs) (laughs) Our nemesis. It's fucking Paul Seawald. I know it's you. You're blocked. You're blocked forever. Ah. such a good <laughs> such a good moment in history. I wonder uh, if Paul Seawald is aware of that. I hope so. We can only hope, right? Yeah. Also, is, like, that, wonder, a, is that a Robin Ventura jersey that you're wearing? It is. Nice. It is, which was part of the inspiration that I uh, I wanted to be Robin today. He is one of my favorite Mets of all time. Um, and I think most of that is because he was actually the first player jersey I ever owned. Oh, cool. Uh, way back in like 2001. Um, and then I had a Jay Payton jersey. That was my first jersey. Mm. Uh, and it was one of those like, you know, those like knockoff ones that have like the different color, like numbering and lettering. Yeah, it's like, it's just like just blue and orange. There's no like white or anything. Yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. black jersey and it had just white lettering on the back. <laughs> it was very strange, but I loved that jersey. Yeah, I have a very weird, like, mesh-looking, almost like, like, I remember there was, like, a spring training look in, like, the early 2000s that was, like, just, like, mesh jerseys, but it was, like, one of the black ones, and it has Mike Piazza on the back with weird numbering and lettering, too. Um, That's one of my favorite jerseys that I own. I love those, man. I, I like. There's yeah. something that's like. There's something that's kind of heartwarming about those like knockoff Mets jerseys or like yeah. the vanity Mets jerseys. And mm-hmm. they, they remind me of like a very specific time because I feel like you don't really see those anymore. You don't really see like those those Mets jerseys that aren't what they wear on the field or yeah. they or that have like fake lettering anymore. That was very 2000s, early 2010s. You can still get them. Like, I feel like you can find them on either, like, eBay or just, like, sketchy sites that you don't know if you're ever going to see the thing that you order, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, uh, what's the big one? Like, AliExpress. Yeah, yeah. You pay, like, $25. And my favorite is, like, when you see these jerseys that arrive and it's, like, the wrong team (laughs) crest on the front. Like, (laughs) someone, someone that's a fellow devils fan like me i saw him one of the facebook groups got like a calgary flames nico heischer jersey it was very very weird that's bizarre <laughs> <laughs> so mike and i today wanted to talk about um a couple things we'll save the 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 second part for last um i think it'll be uh to your guys liking but first and foremost uh we want to talk about how spring training has kicked off for the mm-hmm. minor league guys um and as you've seen around twitter kind of in the midst of these cba negotiations pictures of some of these prospects that are in the pipeline and could be up in the next uh, couple of years or so um so mike i wanted to ask you who is who are you most excited about to see um prospect wise kind of making an impact in queens sooner rather than later like who do you who what prospects are you really into right now yeah i mean um Super high on both, you know, Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty. Um, I could see probably Vientos being called up in 2022. 
Um, just because like the third base situation for the Mets is so has been so up in the air really since David Wright, uh, you know, first went down with spinal stenosis all those years ago. So like, I, I, that's what I'm most excited to see is like a hole filled on the roster, um, with one of two, um, you know, really exciting prospects. And it's awesome to have the best third base prospect in baseball and Brett Beatty. Like that's, that's super exciting. Um, but also I like, I really want to see how Ronnie Mauricio develops and what the Mets decide to do with him with, uh, you know, obviously Francisco Lindor holding down the shortstop position, um, you know, for the next decade, um, you know, do they try to move him to like a second base or third base? I feel like he, he has like the build to be sort of a third baseman. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I'm excited to see kind of what the, what the top end guys can, can bring. Yeah, I think uh, there's some, some of those guys are obviously at the top of the Mets. Um, like, like you see a lot of those guys on the top of the Mets prospect list. And um, Keith Law obviously had, I think, five guys in five Mets prospects in his top 100. You had mm-hmm. uh, obviously Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, and then uh, Ronnie Mauricio, and then Alex Ramirez, who's a pretty appealing prospect. Um, that, you see pictures of Alex Ramirez, and he looks enormous. <laughs> yeah, and he's young too. He's only eighteen yeah. or nineteen, so he's he's you know probably not going to be up for another three four years at the earliest. Uh, but maybe you never know. Some guys just rocket through the system, and um, but you have to kind of take the conservative route with that one and figure that they're probably not going to be up for a few more years. But mm-hmm. um, a guy that I'm really excited about and probably a lot of Mets fans are excited about um, is Francisco Alvarez. Um, he's definitely the guy that I'm, I'm the most stoked about. Um, James McCann, I really just don't think is cutting it or will cut it. Um, and yeah. good, good for James McCann. He cashed out uh, on having a good 60 game season with the White Sox. Um, mm-hmm. but he really regressed to his pre 2020, uh, performance, uh, in 2021, uh, not a great pitch framer by any means, uh, didn't really do much of the plate and you have McCann for three more years. Uh, I thought what was interesting though, is that Francisco Alvarez said that a goal of his is to make the majors in 2022. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool to hear i don't know if it's going to happen i don't think it's going to happen just because he is still so young and i don't think the Mets should rush him but it was cool to see that ambition of i want to be up there this is what you know i I think i can um but i think 2023 is probably when you're going to see alvarez um at the earliest in queens but hey that that was very that was very like you know very pete alonzo of him to say i remember you know when uh, when Pete was still coming up through the system. Um, and obviously it's a different situation because they drafted Pete out of college. So, uh, you know, there's more of a, uh, a fast track to the majors if you've played in college at, and you're a you know, highly touted prospect. So even from the time that he was drafted, Pete was talking about making the major league roster. Um, and the thing that held him back was his defense. He, he shored that up enough to be able to be, you know, a, a passable first baseman defensively. I, I even still contend that I think he's actually a pretty good first baseman and will continue to, uh, to improve. Um, so, you know, it's, it's exciting to see the, a, a top prospect like that 
be so ambitious about it and not um without without coming off as like arrogant you know um i think i think that's the key to um not being like well i deserve to be in the majors it's like no i want to earn my place in the majors which is cool yeah and i think the cool thing about francisco alvarez is that the mets haven't had a big catching prospect in a very, very long time. Uh, I mean, certainly not since I've been following the team or you've been following the team. Has there been a big catching prospect where you're like, wow, this guy is going to be huge? Because, I mean, you had your Piazza, obviously. he was. You didn't have to worry about it when he was the catcher. And then you had Paula Duca right after that. And so those guys really held down the fort, were good catchers. But since then, it's kind of been like – well, you know what? I shouldn't say that because Travis Darno was 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 a guy that was very highly touted. So, yeah, but he was Travis he was still Darno. traded for at that. Like that's what I was gonna say. Um, I would, like that's who came to mind for me was Darno. But uh, you know, he he was drafted by the Blue Jays. So it's not even like it's not even a fully homegrown talent. Since like who? Josh Tolley? He wasn't all that good. No, Josh told, and that was during a time where it was, it was, it was like the beginning of that dark time in Queens where I remember Josh totally getting called up and I was super stoked about it. Um, and I still like Josh totally a lot. Like there's oh, yeah. something about oh, yeah. him that I just liked, uh, but he was such a light hitting catcher. I couldn't even tell you if he was a good defensive catcher or not um, because I don't know. I don't even know if baseball savant numbers were exist from like 2010, 2011. Um, he, was, but, he was R.A. Dickey's personal catcher, right? Um, he, he, he was, yeah. He huge glove. I think it's really funny to me that in that deal for Dickey, the Blue Jays were like, we want Josh Tolley, but we also <laughs> want Mike Nickius. <laughs> like, for what reason – I, I mean, know. I understand Josh. I understand Josh totally. Like, we're For getting sure. R.A. Dickey, the reigning Cy Young winner. We want to have a catcher that he could pitch to every fifth day. Yeah, yeah. But for what reason was Mike Nickius involved in that deal? I just don't know. I mean, I'm fine with it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's just pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, if, I mean, I wonder if he was, uh, you know, had some connection to Dickey as well in terms of like catching him in like bullpens or I, I, I don't know who knows I, i'm trying to think back of like was josh Tolley and mike nickius the one a and one b in that on that on those blue jays teams um no no i don't think so because didn't they also have russell martin by then oh yeah so mike nickius was probably just like catching depth for AAA. yeah i think so that was such a good deal. Like yeah. that was such a, that was such a, like even um, I mean, getting John Buck in that deal was great. Mm-hmm. You know, having replace you're replacing totally right off the bat, getting Syndergaard and, uh, and Darno. And then also you got Wilmer Becerra who didn't pan out, but to have it like a prospect that could have panned out was pretty cool. I mean, he was a guy that was uh, had some, had some success in the minors before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, prospect talk, man. I know, right? And the, uh, you know, who could forget John Buck's MVP month uh, of April, his first year with the Mets, uh, or his only year with the Mets. Yeah, and then obviously they they were able to uh, 
trade him and Marlon Bird for Vic Black and Dilson Herrera. Another trade that I really liked, even if it did 100% pan out. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Dilson Herrera still got the Mets' Jay Bruce. So, like, they were still able to turn him into, like, a productive player. Um, I know yeah. Bruce had his flaws and had some uh, – his second go-around with the Mets wasn't as great. But, uh, I mean, it's Bruce a- had that great 2017 season for the Mets. Yeah, yeah. Before they traded him to Cleveland, I I I personally loved Jay Bruce. Um, I think the Mets handled him perfectly. Uh, they traded him at the right times, both times, um, and yeah, I I think he was he was great for the Mets. And it's it's crazy to me how Dilson Herrera is still only twenty seven years old. Um, it, he I came like, up so young. Did he did he come up with, as a teenager? He was I think uh, nineteen when he came up 19 or 20 yeah he was 20 he was like the first guy that was around our age that i remember being called up mm-hmm. for the mets and i was like this is starting to get weird <laughs> um but yeah i liked jay bruce a lot too um and i remember it was uh people were like freaking out when the mets traded him to cleveland because all they got back was Ryder ryan that relief mm-hmm. pitcher like that 40th round relief pitcher mm-hmm. and everyone was like who is Ryder ryan um, and then Ryder Ryan ended up going to, I think, Texas for Todd Frazier for like the, during the 2020 shortened season uh, or Robinson Chirinos, one of those guys. Yeah. I, I, um, love, I love that trade for Jay Bruce, though, when he went to Cleveland, because he was he was on that World Series team in 2016. Um, wasn't he? Uh Oh, you mean for the for Cleveland? Yeah, for Cleveland. No, he was that was the next year because the Mets got him in 2016, and then Cleveland made it to the World Series in 2016. The Mets got him in the Mets traded him in 2017. Okay. But he was on that Cleveland team that won like 21 games in a row. Mm, okay. Remember when, when that happened when they just yeah. like couldn't stop winning? Um yeah. yeah, you're right. And I think they they went to the playoffs that year, obviously. Um mm-hmm. And then Jay Bruce was a Met in 20 – I'm sorry, was a Yankee in 2021 before he retired, which mm-hmm. I kind of forgot about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was funny. I remember we, we talked about that when he signed for them and we were like, hey, Jay Bruce coming back to New York. Yeah, man, that was – isn't it crazy to think that we've been doing this podcast now for like almost a year? Yeah. Yeah, it's – I mean, we started it right at the beginning of last season, so. Um, yeah, like April 2021. Yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, yeah. So we'll do a special one-year anniversary episode. All right. Yeah, sounds good. We'll, fig- we'll figure out what, what it'll be, but it'll be fun. Yeah. So speaking of Cleveland, uh, some news came out yesterday that Oliver Perez is retiring. Yeah. So, he's 40. So, I mean, that's uh, it's amazing that he's been able to play as long as he has, especially with how volatile he was as a starter. Um, you know, I think we all look back on Oliver Perez with probably mixed feelings over his tenure as a Met. I think a lot of people really like him for what he did in the 2006 playoffs. I personally do. Um, and then, you know, the years after were kind of up and down, but, um, you know, I think he was, I think he was great for what he was at a, a crafty lefty. That was the thing with Omar Minaya is he just like doled out these extensions left and right. 
Um, like Oliver Perez, I think got like a four year extension with the Mets. Um, like Luis Castillo got an extension with the Mets and they just did not pan out. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ali, Ali is one of those guys who I think a lot of Mets fans loathe um, just because he kind of reminds them of an era where they had a lot of heartache, you know, 2007, 2008, those big collapses. Um, and that was one thing with like the Manaya era is that he just never did a really great job. And the Mets never did a really great job of really solidifying their starting pitching situation. Um, you know, obviously you had like the, the front end was, was elite with Pedro and then Johan Santana, you know, you had Glavin and then like, beyond that it was kind of a mishmash of like middle to like back end starters um so i think a lot of people kind of loathe ollie for like because it was like during that time period but it is pretty amazing that ollie was kind of able to re-establish himself as a a, a solid left-handed reliever i mean Mm -hmm. a it's pretty wild that he is only 40 (laughs) to me well he was he was young when he came to the mets even he was he was probably in his early twenties pitching in that. Well, if he's 40 now, that means that he was, that was 16 years ago. He was 24 when he was pitching for the Mets in 06. Yeah. Um, He was a young guy. Um, But so with all, cause I wrote, I wrote an article about Oliver Perez back when I was still at Metsmerized and he left the Mets. And I think he went to, I want to say Seattle, like right after the Mets, or maybe Washington, like one of those teams, and he, struggled he, as a starter. He didn't. He didn't pitch in the majors in 2011. He left in. He left the Mets in 2010. Okay. Uh, reemerged with Seattle in 2012. Okay, so I guess that's when he he began pitching as a reliever. Um, and yeah, I mean he, he's lucky he was a lefty because I think lefties are very coveted in in regards to baseball pitchers um, or they're efficient. Um, but the fact that he's, he was the last active 2006 Met that was still playing. I don't think anybody would have predicted that, uh, you know, back in 2006, 2007. So the fact that he was able to carve out a career for himself and pitch another 15 years in the major leagues is really incredible. Um, and I, I think it was Mike Mayer who tweeted out uh, yesterday that, uh, he has the same amount of career appearances as Jamie Moyer, uh, which is pretty, pretty incredible. No yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, I feel and, like Jamie Moyer made, I mean, well, I, I guess it kind of makes sense, especially when he was a reliever, you know, coming into more game, more and more games. Um, you know, he, he pitched in as many as seven, 70 games uh, in 2015 between Arizona and Houston. So like, I guess that makes sense. To, that, for him to be able to catch up to someone like Jamie Moyer. Um, but I think it is pretty interesting to note that his last game as a starter came as a Met all the way back in 2010. And then he went on to pitch for another 10-ish seasons. Yeah, I think I think after he left the Mets, Washington picked him up. And then, he, but he didn't pitch in the majors for them in 2011. Mm-hmm. He, I think that's probably when he started to pitch as a reliever. Um, maybe he was one of those guys that just like had like not a Rick and Keel type situation um, where he had like the yips like that, but maybe it was one of those things where he just as a starter was too heady or was too like anxious. Um, I, I mean, I think was it was a matter of second, third time through the batting order for him. Like he, 
I, I felt like a lot of Oliver Perez starts, he would explode or implode rather in like the sixth, seventh inning, fifth inning, you know? Um, I feel like once, once batters had seen him one time through, they could pick up his stuff, uh, which made him really effective out of the pen because that first time through, I feel like he was usually pretty good. Yeah, you're right. He was one of those early guys where that was kind of like that theory was still kind of in its early stages of guys aren't as efficient the third time through the order. Um, and Ollie was, was, yeah. And I think I, I kind of feel like that was a common theme for guys from that era of the Mets. Like John Neese is a guy that I feel like had that issue in Pelfrey where like John later Maine in the game, well. they would, John Maine, yeah. yeah. John Maine, Mike Pelfrey, and John Neese are all like the same person to me sometimes. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, just same. And Dylan G, like you could just like I clump all of those guys into the state, the same middle, uh, like mid rotation guy. Yeah. Um, and John Neese, I just want to say, is one of my least favorite Mets of all time. I really don't like him. Um, but it's funny to look back and see that he actually had some pretty good seasons with the Mets. He did. Um, but for whatever reason, I'm just like, I, I'm just like, he always sucked. I can't stand that guy. Um, but I don't know. I think maybe it was just because when, when he left, when they traded him for Neil Walker, which by the way, was a really good trade. Oh, yeah. um, and I, it was so funny with that because they traded him for Neil Walker in the 2015-16 offseason, one for one, which I really liked. And then the Mets that offseason also signed Antonio Bastardo, who was a pirate. And then at the trade deadline, the Mets had got Jay Bruce. And I remember watching SNY and it was like Sandy Alderson was talking. He said, we also made one more trade before the right before the deadline. We've traded Antonio Bastardo to the Pirates for John Neese. And I just <laughs> started laughing. I just started <laughs> cracking up. Um because John Neese was talking about after he left that he was happy to go to a team that actually had good defense behind him. Yeah. And then the Mets like brought him back and he had to go back into the locker room where he just trashed his former teammates. Like, what was it like then? Like, just like walking back in with like your tail between your legs. Right. Well, and, you know, looking at John Neese's baseball reference page, it's, it's not horrible. I mean, his, his return to the Mets in 2016 was definitely horrible. Um, but, I mean, he had a 4.07 ERA, started almost 200 games, and was, you know, to have a 4 ERA in 200 games uh, is really not that bad. Uh, and like you said, in like 2012, his, his run from 2012 through 2014 um, was really good. He 3.4 ERA, 3.7, 3.4 again. Um, so, I mean, I, I understand why you wouldn't like him. But I, I never really hated him because I feel like he he was a solid, you know, three, four guy. He was also one of those guys who, who was a Met. Like, he debuted in 2008, I believe. Um, like, him and Bobby Parnell were, like, two of the last guys to, to pitch at Shea and then, like, pitch at City. Like, I always forget that. They, and I think Murphy, like, those three guys all debuted in 08. They were, like, last of, like, the Shea guys. Yep. Um, but Nice was a, was a guy who I think, for me, he was part of those really bad, like, 2009 through 2011 teams where there was not a lot of things to look forward to, but still pieced together some good seasons. But he reminds me of that bad era 
Queens where like, I was so sick and tired of watching the Mets at that point. Um, and that was like the one time period of my life where I was, I was obviously still watching games a lot, but I was not as invested oh, as I was. And I was also in high school. We were both in high school. And yeah. It was a little bit different, but so there's a lot of like, like I really don't remember Luis Hernandez hitting that ball off of his foot and then hitting a home run and trotting around the bases with a broken foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think happened in 2010. I also don't remember Luis Hernandez at all. No, me neither. <laughs> I also, yeah, I feel like I feel like I really started to get back invested like late in college. Like my junior senior year of college was when I was like back into it. Especially, be- I mean, obviously the World Series run did a lot for that. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. There, there's a kind of like a black hole where guys like John Neese, John May, Mike Pelfrey, Dylan G, I guess you can throw them in there, are all just like the same guy in my mind. <laughs> Dylan I remember, almost threw a no-hitter in his major league debut. Like, oh, yeah. he went like six or seven no-hit innings in his major league debut. And I thought he was the truth. I was like, Dylan G is going to be, he's going to lead the Mets to the promised land. I was so stoked about Dylan G. And then I, I liked Dylan G. And then like 2015 rolled around and he got pulled from the rotation and was like a big giant baby about it. And yeah. It yeah, I remember that. That was, that was pretty bad. Yeah, Dylan G, I uh, definitely like in that category. Um, yeah. But congrats to Oliver Perez on his on his retirement and really piecing together a nice career for himself. Yeah, and, you know, um, just to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier with the uh, with spring training, um, starting for the minor leaguers, it's really cool to see, you know, people like Phil Regan and Andy Chavez, you know, just kind of like sticking around the organization, even though – like, I don't think – does Andy Chavez have, like, a coaching job in the minor leagues or something like that? Like, you know, what's – what are the – I don't even know what their roles are, but it just – it definitely makes me happy to see their uh, their presence at in Port St. Lucie. Well, Phil Regan um, had been a minor league coach before he became the pitching coach, uh, like the interim pitching coach. Um, and I think that he was pretty much just reassigned to that role which I'm sure is probably a little bit more palatable for him at age 84 and not like traveling all over the country. Like he was kind of forced to do. Um, I like Phil Regan a lot. I liked him a lot as the pitching coach. Um, Brody Van Wagenen almost assassinated him when he threw a chair in that meeting um, a few years ago. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true, but I'd like to imagine that he almost killed Phil Regan with a chair. Um, Who's to say, uh, you know, who's to say only Brody and Phil know. (laughs) Andy Chavez, I think, has a coaching role. He was coaching with Brooklyn. Uh, I don't know if he still is. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. But, yeah, it's cool. That's been, like, one of the cool things about this has been seeing these minor league guys, these pictures. And um, I think it's kind of forced these beat reporters to focus on those minor league guys, which doesn't always happen. Right. Um, And I think it's fun for fans to get a glimpse into the future of what we could be seeing in the next few years in Queens. Yeah, especially when, you know, for for pretty much, you know, Van Wagenen's entire tenure, he was very fast and loose with with prospects, trading them away. Um, so, you know, the, the Mets, 
farm system had been depleted. Um, and it's, it's really pretty impressive to be able to have the prospects that the Mets have right now, given the sort of moves that were made in, in the not too, you know, far off past. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely still lose sleep over trading Kelnick, but, uh, I have faith that the Mets are not going to be so willy nilly with trading their prospects like they were just a couple of years ago. Um, or at least like if they do trade them, it's not going to be for the Keon Broxtons of the world or the Robinson Chirinoses of the world. Uh, you know, people, Jake Marisnik's of the world like that. Um, so yeah, hopefully the, hopefully the, the MLBPA and the MLB agree to a new CBA this week. Uh, and we don't really miss any time. And then I think we're going to get like when and if that happens, it's going to be like a crazy flurry of free agent moves. Oh yeah, uh, then it's going to be real fun. Yes, it's going to be like hot stove 2.0. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was all crazy before the CBA expired in December, and I feel like it's only just going to be just the same as soon as you know, as soon as the the deal gets signed with the CBA uh, between MLPA and the owners. Um, I'm looking forward to posting uh, Danza Caduro as soon as Jerry's familiar resigns with the Mets again. Oh man, uh, I forgot that he's a free agent and that's, and that's a possibility. <laughs> also a probability, like he's definitely going to be back. Yeah, he's coming back for sure. Uh, no, I love it. I love yeah, it. I love Jerry's I familia. And I think, I think he's one of the best Mets relievers they've ever had. Well, he is. Um, I'm just like, it's like, it's funny because he, he's just like, he's like the new age John Franco, just like sure. relief pitcher that's been on the Mets forever. Um, <laughs> obviously, he had that short stint in in Oakland, but he's been on the Mets longer than anybody else. Uh, I mean, debuting in 2012, the last, the other person to debut at that point, I mean, the, or the next person to, the next longest tenure Met is DeGrom, so um pretty crazy that familia has been around for that long and he's still only what 32 or 33 yeah i'm not really sure i'd have to check on that but all right yeah jerry's familia is coming back what do you think about the possibility of conforto coming back yeah i mean i've been seeing that uh on twitter and stuff and like it's it's almost like the lockout was <laughs> advantageous to letting that rumor kind of seep back into you know, the, the forefront, I guess, because, you know, when, when he didn't sign the qualifying offer, I was like, okay, Conforto's time as a Met is done and over for good. Um, but it's, it's definitely interesting. How, this just like, you know, however many days of, of separation from that, you know, it's, it's kind of back and like, I would, I wouldn't hate it. You know, I think, I think I was down way down on Conforto um, like right when the season ended, but he's a very good baseball player. He's a solid defender. Um, I think whatever he does next season will definitely be better for him if he resigns with the Mets or elsewhere. Um, and I hope it is for him because I really like Conforto. Um, so like, I think it's interesting. I think it's still improbable at this point though. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think he's coming back. Um, I don't know. You never know. You never can tell. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe he comes back on a short one-term 
one-year deal, but I think that there's going to be some team that is going to um, that's going to sign him. That's that's not the Mets. I mean, not that I think teams have been talking to players, but I think that maybe there was like structures of deals being done like mm-hmm. um, before the lockout. So we'll have to see. I mean, I would like Conforto to come back. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I don't know. It's just one of those things that like. Would, would I be happy if it happened? Sure. But if it doesn't, I'm not going to be like heartbroken over it because that's, that's kind of what we established would be the probability, you know, right when the season ended. So um, I don't know. I'd like it, but like also where are you going to put them in an outfield with Starling Marte, Mark Canna and Brandon Nimmo? Um, I think he would start over Canna, I guess, in that configuration, but I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy um, just to think that the Mets have Starling Marte now. Like, I always forget that that's, that happened, and they have yeah. Scherzer. And even Francisco Lindor, it's like, I look, I take a step back sometimes, and I'm like, the Mets really have Francisco Lindor. Like, that's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. so sick. Um, but anyway, uh, do you want to remember some guys? Yeah. Um, why don't you lead us off? All right. Um, let me gather a year in my mind. Um, all right, today I'm going to I'm going to remember Tom Glavin's brother Mike Glavin. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think he was on the 2003 Mets. Yeah, I think he was still with the organization in 2004 as well, but I'm not positive, but I love that. Yeah, he might have been. Um I've been playing a lot of MVP baseball 2004 lately. Great game. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Um and there's just so many guys to choose from, but I'm also going to go with a early 2000s guy, uh, relief pitcher, Tyler Yates. Tyler Yates. Yeah. Brother of Kirby Yates, mm-hmm. who's a pretty still active reliever, pretty good reliever. So yeah. Tyler Yates. He had the, uh, I think he had the goatee as well here. He had like the, the, yeah. the, the skull patch. Yeah. He had a, like he had a little chin goatee. Um, not, not quite as strong as JJ puts, but, um, I don't think happy birthday, I don't, JJ I don't think you could beat JJ puts. Yeah. Happy, yeah. happy, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. 45. To happy birthday to JJ puts and Kelly Johnson. Yeah. So on that note, Mike, do absolutely great recording with you as always. Oh yeah. We'll see you again. We'll see you again. Either. Are we doing a, doing a late week episode or is it next week? You think? Yeah, we could, we could do a late week episode for sure. So we'll see you guys later this week. All right. All right. See you later. Bye-bye.